0: God, have in my hand, powerful word of God, can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today, speak to me, in Jesus' name, amen. We need to start doing this more and more and more, and so um, I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you just simply to say, I love you. If you're by yourself, just look at yourself and say, I love you. Thanks. We'll get through it today. We'll get through this today. A lot of emotions. There is just a lot of pain in our little world out here and It it filters into our church, doesn't it? Had a wonderful time last night, Uh, about 20 of us or so, a little more, went to Moore's Fish Farm, all-you-can-eat catfish, and then uh, first and third, Saturdays and Sundays, they add barbecue to that, and uh, my goodness, that was great. When Jeff turned off the highway and started up this rickety old road, I thought, He'd been lying to us all along. <laughs> there's some ax murderer out here he's taking us to see. But we round a corner and there's this goofy looking house. I thought, that's it. <laughs> that was it. And um, it was almost standing room only in there. What a great time of fellowship, those that went and ate way too much. I didn't, but you did. (laughs) Being on the diet that I'm on, I don't get to do that. But I enjoyed watching you going back and back and back. I think they ran out of fish. Sam took care of that, didn't he? Amen. Amen. What a great time. When we have those things, we're just going to start having more of them. So we just go. We all like to eat, amen? So we'll try to make sure that... uh, We get more of those in in the near future. We're going to be at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 1 through 17 today. That's going to be our text to work from. A family was at Chick-fil-A a few weeks ago and their kids were playing in the indoor playground for about two hours. The dad was there watching them and there was only one other parent in there and the whole place is full of kids. You know how that goes. One of the kids on the slide kicked this man's son, and of course that other kid shouldn't have been in there, he was too big, but he kicked the three-year-old son in the back and the son starts to cry and goes off over to play again in another area and another kid that's really too old to be in there hits the kid in the head, hits the son in the head and the dad had had all he could handle. So he stands up and he yells at the kids and tells them to get out of there, not to come back to that playground. The other adult that was in there, by the way, was another dad who they had they attend church together. So even <laughs> not an opportune time for him to show his color. So, but he goes over to this dad and he says, Hey, I'm sorry you had to see me go all, all Old Testament on those kids over there. A couple nights later, the dad's putting the daughter, his daughter to bed and she says, Dad, can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you remember that night at Chick-fil-A? That night when you kicked all the kids out of the playground? Well, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember in the Bible when Adam and Eve sinned and God kicked them out? Well, you know, that's kind of the same thing you did. So you and God were like the same in those stories. And the dad looks at her and he goes, Hmm, I wonder how I can get your mom to think of me that way. same same dad it's halloween he wanted to teach his kids about god so when they brought in the candy he took the opportunity to teach them about tithing and he played the role of god and it got a little awkward though when he was demanding 30 percent more of the candy than the bible requires I believe all of us have tried to play the role of God sometimes. Can you raise your hand if you have ever tried to play God? We get a little bit of that Messiah complex. We're trying to be like Jesus for the day. We try to force people to do what we want or force a situation to go our way. And then after we've manipulated everything, we then claim it's God's will. Have I hit home yet? Have you, Are you at the point where you understand this message is probably not going to be very comfortable? well too bad too bad I'm not here to to, in, to make you comfortable I'm here to make you uncomfortable it's my role but I can't make you uncomfortable until I've been made uncomfortable and trust me I'm really uncomfortable anyone ever try to play God and to force things to go their way instead of waiting for God's way you know what that really makes you don't you It makes you the Antichrist. (laughs) What would you just call me? Now, wait a minute. Your definition of Antichrist, or maybe what you've been taught in the past, is a little different from what I'm going to teach you right this moment. Because we've always thought that Antichrist meant against Christ. All of you? Anybody? Is Is that how you view it? If you break down in the Greek language the word anti means in the place of. So in other words, an antichrist is an impersonator of Jesus. It's really important that you hear this. You ever been Branson and seen the Elvis lookalikes in Branson? Oh, they're everywhere, aren't they? Even in Vegas, they've got the chops and... The only thing that they can say that sounds somewhat similar is, thank you you very much. Most of them can't sing like him. I wish they could, because what they're singing is pretty bad. But somebody's always trying to fake somebody else. Trying to be somebody else. So Paul, in this second letter to the Thessalonians, is going to talk about the danger of impersonating God and putting yourself... In the place of God. And how do we do that? By describing the ultimate imposter and impersonator, the Antichrist. And while we're going to delve into this character of this mysterious person who will appear on the world scene at some point in the future, I also want to focus on how we do the same things. And we try to take the place of God because when we do, we actually mess up what God wants to do in our own lives. So three things, three ways I'm going to show you today how we, I'm including myself, how we take the place of God. But but let's pick up in our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, let's pick it up at verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily upset in mind or troubled, either by a spirit or by a message or by a letter, as if from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's sanctuary, publicizing that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I told you about this. So the first, the first way that we play God is by exalting ourselves. <clears throat> by exalting ourselves. And probably the best way to explain this to you is to explain to you a Jewish holiday. Hanukkah. Coming up in a few weeks, the word Hanukkah means dedication. In 167 BC, there was a Syrian king named Antiochus Epiphanes. He conquered Jerusalem. He made practicing Judaism illegal in Israel. He confiscated all the Jewish money, forbid the teaching of the Torah. And as the worst act of all, he defiled the temple by setting up an idol on the altar and then sacrificed a pig in the temple. The Jews renamed him from Epiphanes, which means God made manifest, to Epimenus, which means the madman. In fact, I have a picture up here of a coin that he made of himself. Very handsome young man, isn't he? (laughs) On the coin he had inscribed, Antiochus, image of God, bearer of victory. See, he thought he was God. And he wanted everyone to worship him. But there was one group of men that wouldn't do that. They were the sons of a priest named Metayahu. And they rebelled against Antiochus. And they defeated him. It came to be known as the Maccabean Revolt. They cleansed the temple of all the idols that had been placed there. But when they were to light the menorah, something was missing. They only had one day's worth of oil. And it took eight days to make the oil that was used in the menorah for temple worship. But God performed a miracle. He made one day's worth of oil last. For eight days. So that's why every day the Jews light one candle on the menorah. And it's a huge celebration in Israel to this very day. It's a big deal in the time of Jesus also. He even celebrated Hanukkah in John chapter 10. We find, then then came the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Hanukkah was the perfect time for Jesus to reveal who he was. Because it was a time when they remember someone who claimed to be God, but he was actually an impersonator. But that's when the real one showed up. So Jesus' point in referencing this event is to show us that what will happen in the future as the Antichrist shows up and proclaims himself to be God. That's what we read In these verses here in 2 Thessalonians, the Antichrist will do essentially the same thing during the tribulation period. He will commit what's called the abomination of desolation. Jesus even mentioned this act in the moment uh, to the Jews. And for that moment, the Jews will want to flee Israel in Matthew 24 when he said, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let him who are, them, those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This happens at the halfway point in the tribulation because during the first half of the tribulation, things are really good for Israel. Things are really, really good. And that's why they're going to be tricked by this imposter. And they think that he is the Messiah. And let me tell you, Israel today is very ripe for deception. Very ripe. They will believe anyone. Who, and in anyone who can bring peace to the Middle East. And this Antichrist will be able to bring peace throughout the entire region. So the, com- the countries of Iran, Jordan, Syria, and Israel and Egypt, they will all align behind this Antichrist personality who's an imposter but will appear to be the Messiah. Get ready. Get ready. We hear of Israel being threatened almost on a daily basis. Iran has said they'll wipe Israel from the map. Israel has made it clear to all who seek their destruction that they will defend themselves, and boy, they will. They have one of the best air forces in the world. You don't mess with them. But there's going to come a time when they'll fall hook, line, and sinker behind this Antichrist personality. In fact, when in 97, when I was at the Wailing Wall, there was this huge sign and I asked the tour guide what it said and was told, get ready, Messiah is coming. So they're right. They are right for deception because they don't believe the Messiah has come yet. The true Jews, they don't believe that. And yet we do. If you go to Jerusalem, the old city, you'll go to the eastern gate where Jesus entered the eastern gate on the donkey and they're throwing the putting the palm leaves down in front of Him to show victory. That's all... That's all stoned in. It's not even open. And I asked the tour guide, why isn't that gate open? She said, because we're waiting for the Messiah to come and He will enter that gate. I thought, how sad. Know the Scripture, but they don't see Jesus. But that's been the problem from the beginning with Israel. I don't know if you're aware, but Satan the devil used to be an angel of God named Lucifer. And that name in the Hebrew means light bearer. But he had a problem. He wanted to be worshipped as God, and that's what got him kicked out of heaven and cast to the earth. And If you've never heard this, in Isaiah chapter 14 is where we learn it. It says, "...how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north." I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his his prisoners? I want you to think about that. We're going to see Satan someday and we're going to say, this was the guy? I thought he would be bigger than that. This is the guy? Why, well, he's scrawny and why was I afraid of him? That's what we're going to say. Because when you compare him to Jesus, there will be no comparison. There is no comparison. See, most of us think that Satan looks like a guy wearing spandex with horns and a pitchfork. Dressed in red. 2 Corinthians says that for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. You see. He's an impersonator. And that's what his henchman the Antichrist is too. They're trying to play God but it isn't going to work out for them. Let me give you a spoiler alert. Revelation 19. I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Somebody says, I need to put a chip in your arm, a chip on your head, so that we can keep up with you. You run. You tell them no. No, no. Now they may force you. Go die before you let them do it. I just read it for you. Don't do it. Revelation 19. Highlight it, circle it, make sure that you understand that the Antichrist is going to be using that in the end days. They're already talking about it. They're already talking about going to a world, war, a worldwide currency where the only way you can trade or buy or do anything is with a chip that's in your wrist and you scan it. Just like you do a can of beans. Don't take it. A oh, preacher will die. For me to live is Christ, Paul said, and to die is... Amen. Say it one more time. To die is... Amen. If you're in the Lord, that's game gain for you. Well preacher I haven't really lived my life I, I mean I want to get married I want to have kids I want to see grandkids I want hey I've got you but if you want that more than heaven you're in trouble that's why you're always told you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind and spirit you got to love him more than you love your wife more than you love your husband more than you love your kids you got to love God but it's tough isn't it? It's tough. Now let's go on to our second way we play God, but pick it up at verse 6. And you know what currently restrains him so that he will be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs and wonders, and with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false, so that all will be condemned. Those who did not believe the truth but enjoyed unrighteousness. second way we play God is by seeking our will. Have you ever been mad at God because you didn't get what you wanted? Anybody be honest enough to raise their hand? You ever been mad at God because you didn't get what you wanted? Boy, I have. We've all done it, and we do, and we do this because we think we know better than God. Oftentimes, we don't want God to answer us the way He needs to answer us because we think we know better. There was an 18-year-old who was starting college, and the dad decided to buy him a car. So dad told him to go check out some used cars and narrow his his focus down and the next day they'd go out and buy that car. So the 18 year old goes out, goes a couple places and then he sees it. He sees a low rider pickup. He loved it. He made note that it had over a hundred thousand miles on it, but he didn't care because all he could see was him driving down the road, blasting that music in those big state of the art speakers that it had in the back of it. That's all he saw. So he takes his dad in the next day and the dad takes a good look at the car or the the lowrider truck and then he says son let me show you some things and he shows him this giant crack in the windshield shows him the dents all over the car shows him how one of the doors didn't even open very well and the weird thing is that that 18 year old never saw any of that and the point is is if he had gotten his way he would have missed out on God's best for him because of his own short sightedness. John five, I can do myself I can of myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And why is that important for us? Because right now there's a restraining. Don't forget, don't miss this. There's a restraining that's happening in the world, keeping culture from fully getting its own way. Think about where we're living and what's going on in our time. There's a radical evil in the world that's yet to be released. And there's a culture that wants it to be released. It's the battle between filtered and unfiltered. Who would have thought that in our day that we would have to define what marriage is? State after state after state of saying, let them marry. That's marriage now. Let them marry. That's not the standard of God's Word. God's Word says a husband and wife, a man and a woman. That's what He did. He didn't create Adam and Ed in the garden. He created man and woman and He told them how to behave. He told them how to, how to multiply and replenish the earth. And they figured it out really quick. Now, going to come a time when we can't preach that. Oh, wait a minute. That's already here. There are laws being proposed to keep me from the pulpit ever saying to you what I just said to you. I could be arrested and put in jail. A few years ago, a preacher named Bob was on a flight back to Florida from California and he watched the movie, the in-flight movie that's on on the on the airplane. And he said, man, this is, this is a great movie. There's not any cussing, there's not any nudity. And he said, man, it's a really pretty clean movie. So he recommends it to a friend and a friend went to church with him. And a uh, friend says, you know, I was planning to take my kids to the movie this weekend. And he said, I'll just take them to see that one. So he takes his three kids and his wife. And they go to the movie and it's full of nudity and cussing. And needless to say, Bob got a visit from his friend. He said, man, how could you recommend that movie? And Bob was mortified because the one he saw, the version he saw, there wasn't any of that. He said, well, where did you see this movie? He said, well, on the airplane. He said, oh, Bob, they filter all the in-flight films. Didn't you know that? No. He said, well, okay. He said, I'll forgive you. He said, but I'm going to give you a warning. Steer clear of my wife this week, man, because she's after you, boy. (laughs) It's the work of God right now in the world that we don't even see. God is holding back the tide of the work of Satan and the man of sin being revealed until God's work is complete and the rapture comes. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he tells them that the return of Jesus won't happen until He who restrains is removed. And who is that? The restraining force right now is the Spirit of God at work through the church. What are they trying to silence right now in our culture? The church! They're trying to silence the church, silence the Christians. Who's the only religious group being persecuted in public and nobody says a word? The Christians. If you stand up and say you're Muslim, they'll give you the key to the city. But if you stand up and say, I am a blood bought, born again, baptized believer in Jesus Christ, they'll throw you in jail. Oh, it's coming. Blah blah, 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 Not in America, preacher. Wake up. Tis here, my friends. Tis here. But I want you to think about that. What's holding back the tide of immorality and sin and evil but the church of God? But once the rapture takes place and the church is removed, That's when people are going to see the world totally uncensored and unfiltered. And according to these verses, it's also when the Antichrist will be revealed and the world is finally going to get what it wants. A world without Christianity. Bill Maher. Oh, he's a modern day saint, isn't he? Bill Maher says this. I hate religion. I think it's a neurological disorder. So many things run through your mind to say about people like Bill Maher. But we'll just simply have to say, I'm going to pray for Bill that one day his heart is softened and his mind is open and he receives Jesus Christ as his Savior. Because if he goes through life and he dies and he doesn't do that, he'll be on the other side of the gulf as described in Luke 16. And the other side of the gulf says that they're in torment in the flames. It's not a very pleasant picture. We live in a culture that believes that sentiment, that Bill expressed, that hate Christianity, they hate Jesus, they hate churches, because they feel restrained by us. I wrestle all the time with City Hall across the street, and you know I do. But I started praying for them. And I keep praying for them, and I'm going to keep praying for them, and I'm going to keep praying for them until they give us this land right here adjacent to our church. City owns it, they don't need it anymore. They're not using it, let us have it. That way we can build something on it for God, amen? so I've asked three of them to give it to us and they look at me really funny and then I told I'm going to tell one of them the next time I see them I say hey you know what we had a church service and we've all claimed that land so as soon as you get ready to give us the deed to it we're ready I just want to watch them try to figure out how to answer that because they don't really want to tell you what the answer is so I just keep having fun with them so we're in the way we are literally in the way I mean, let's not forget that Christianity invented hospitals, hospice care, orphanages. But when you believe in the survival of the fittest, you aren't thinking about those who have, who can't survive without help. We had someone just this morning come by needing help. And we've helped them. We continue to help people. And we're going to continue to do that. We're part of a community Thanksgiving service. We're, We're trying to bring in food items so that we can... Pack the boxes to send out 158 families in the Jinx School District. Jinx! Wealthy Jinx! Well, South Tulsa, right? They just got more credit over there than we do over here. We need 150 cans of cranberry sauce. We got a good start back there, but we got to have it all by next Sunday. So go out and just take everything off of every shelf and bring it. Bring it. You will. You always do. But all the culture sees as people of faith holding back what they really want to do and eventually they're going to get with their wish. Our culture is rejecting Jesus and His teachings and yet they will embrace a counterfeit who will give them the unfiltered life they seek. John 5 again, Jesus says, I've come in My Father's name and you do not receive Me. If another comes in His own name, Him you will receive. Jesus knew... He knew. He knows. This is when the deception we read about comes into play. Now before I mention the third way we play God, let's pick up our text again in verse 13. But we must always thank God for you, uh, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, either by our message or by our letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. We play God thirdly by neglecting our foundation. Do you know why we try to play God? It's because there, is, there was a moment in our lives when someone in authority played God to us. It could have been a parent, a boss, a teacher, a spouse, a friend. They were trying to control us, and now we never want to be in that position again. I heard a story this week about a bully that was bullying this girl, several kids, but this one girl in particular, she said, I've had enough. She takes her metal lunch pail, wings that dude. His nose is bleeding, he is all over himself. Well, he goes crying to his dad. His dad calls the mother of that girl and said, Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. And you know what? That boy was a model citizen from then on on that bus. And that's, that's you know, sometimes you just got to stand up to the bully, don't you? Now, I'd help if you have Derek with you now. That's going to help you. Now, don't get me wrong. Or Brother Don with you, you know, always going to help. Or me, some big old guy, then they kind of look at you, a little funny, I'm not going to hit you yet. But if you got a metal, a metal um, lunch pail, whale them, them. Whale if you knock their nose completely on the other side of their face, bet they'll leave you alone next time, won't they? Now, I'm not advocating violence, I'm not advocating going out and picking a fight, I'm not. I always told my sons, I said, you don't start it, but you make sure they don't want any more if they come back. And I showed them some strategic things that would help them accomplish that. (laughs) I didn't play football all those years not to figure out that stuff out. Okay, let's go back to some anointing here. So even though (laughs) though it benefits us to give God control, we have a tendency to not relinquish control. Because deep down inside, we think we know better proverbs 28 says this he who trusts in his own heart is a fool but whoever walks wisely will be delivered you cannot read enough proverbs you cannot read enough proverbs Billy Graham said I read psalms to learn how to how to get along with God and I read proverbs to learn how to get along with man yeah earlier we celebrated communion did we not it's one of our traditions at our church. It's a reminder that we aren't we aren't God, but that we need God. It's a reminder that while many may try to be God, God became a man and died for us so that we could have forgiveness, life, and peace. The word "traditions" is a good word. It simply means teaching, and it's the truth of the Bible that we believe. It's one of the foundations of our faith in this church. Is the communion service. Jesus came. He died on the cross for our sins. And we now have eternal life because of it. That's why we remember. When we're grounded in our faith, we have a proper view of who God is and a sober view of who we are as well. But when we get that confused, it creates problems for us and those around us because sometimes we try to play God with our kids. We try to solve every problem. That's what's wrong with kids today. Everybody's solving their problems. Their parents are jumping in and taking defense if somebody says, your kid threw a rock through my window, I'm suing you for having a window when that rock will break. And some lawyer would pick it up and you'd lose. Because you put a window in your house that a rock could break. How dare you do that? You've got to put rock-breaking-less windows in your house. It's not it, it doesn't matter that a kid stands in the street and throws a rock right through your window. Amen? What's wrong with this? Picture. There was a time when if you threw a rock through somebody's window, you not only paid for that window, but you paid for it in other ways as well. That's why God put extra padding on the backside of our bodies. It gets set on a lot, but it also can be used for other purposes as well. You ought to hear Brian and Brad talk about how mean their dad was to these guys. I can't. I tear up every time I I hear their story. I'm surprised these two young men have made it to adulthood without killing somebody. The way their dad treated them. Yeah, tell them the rabbit story sometime. he's crying right now about the rabbit. Story. I had to bring it up, didn't I? You know, there are moments when my kids were fighting and I'd walk in, they'd start trying to tell me who did what and all that. And what they're trying to do is get me to side with them and discipline the other one. I know, I know what they're after. And sometimes you have to just kind of restore calm and order. But most of the other time I'd say, hey, look, you guys are brothers, you gotta love each other. Y'all figure it out. Y'all figure it out. And one day they wouldn't do it, so I sent Jeff and Corey out in the back backyard and I made them figure it out. <laughs> Never throwing each other over the backyard. It was really ugly, and my little five-footer. She was about to beside herself, and I just looked at her and I said, "Don't say anything. Do not say anything." But you know what? That was the last time they ever did that. Of course, Corey got bigger. Jeff got <laughs> <laughs> Jeff got a lot wiser. He said, "Dad, I'm not going out." <laughs> oh, I wasn't supposed to tell you who that was, by the way. And the other one, he's got eyes like this by the door. But sometimes we play God because we're trying to keep something God gave us. Boy, hear this. If you haven't heard anything, hear this part. You're praying for a job. You got the job. You called your friends. You said, thank the Lord. God answered my prayer. You were hoping God would bless you with a new home and you're praying and that it would all work out and sure enough it did and God answered my prayer. You're hoping God would bless you more financially and you pray it would work out and sure enough it did and God answered my prayer. You're praying that the relationship that you wanted would work out, and sure enough, he asked you, or you asked her, and it all worked out, and boy, you said, God answered my prayer. But then something happened. The job that you just couldn't have you know, you just had to have, and then God gave it to you. Suddenly your boss wants you to do something unethical. Oh, you get that home, but the only way you can afford the home is now you can't honor God financially. Oh, you start dating that guy or that girl, but it's starting to get too physical, and you're not comfortable with that. That's not how you'd hoped that that relationship would go. You get blessed with more financial resources, and now it's hard to tithe. I read a story about a guy who went to his preacher, and he said, Hey, when I made $200 a week, man, it wasn't any problem tithing. But now that I'm making $2,000 a week, I'm struggling. preacher looks at me and says, I tell you what, I'm going to pray that you go back making $200 a week. Because it's not the amount, it's the heart. Amen? But here's the choice. Do we walk away? Do we take a stand? Or do I play God so I can keep what I think He's blessing me with? See, so often we get stuff because we think, boy, God's really blessing you. Wow. When you may be in control and blaming God for what you got. Be very careful, people. Be very careful. Humbleness will go a long way. Amen? If you have a lot, give a lot. If you have great resources in time, talent, and treasure, give it. And when you give it away, what happens? Oh my goodness, he starts putting more in here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. When's the last time you started getting so much you told God, okay, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. I didn't think so either. We need to start trusting God's Word more than our interpretation of circumstances. You see, God's will is that you and I understand His Word. And we're in His Word. We're breathing it. Living in it. We can start believing that God loves us and desires the best for us even more than that we desire those things for ourselves. That's why communion is so powerful. It's a physical reminder of our God who became a man and died for us. When circumstances looked at their absolute worst and our Savior was hanging on a cross, I'm sure many were thinking, if I were God, man, I'd stop this. But little did they know that that immeasurable act of love was the moment that brought salvation and forgiveness and mercy to all mankind. Father, we ask You this morning, To prick our hearts. Move among us. Take your finger and stir our hearts. Because God, we so often try to get in your way. We so often want to interpret blessings and things that come our way as though somehow we had Some measure of getting it. The only gifts that we have, talents, are given to us by you. Father, there is absolutely nothing that we can do that would create in our lives anything better than what you give us day to day. So, God, we're asking this morning that you would... Stir in the hearts of your people here. We're going to sing a song in just a few minutes, Lord. And I'm praying that there will be some people who will just fall on their knees right where they are and just start praying to you. God, I'm praying that there will be some people who maybe will come forward here at the front and fall on their knees and, and pray to you. It was such a touching moment the last night of our revival to watch so many respond. They just came to pray. They just came to talk to you. And God, there's just something special about doing that. So today, if there's a burden that's being carried, if there's a a need that's in a heart, would you cause that person to go to their knees as they cry out to you? And would you hear their prayer? If they need salvation, would they let us know so we can teach them? If they're interested in church membership, would they let us know so we can teach them? But God, whatever the need is today, will we let you meet it? In Jesus' name, amen.